Welcome back to Call Me By Your Game, the podcast where I, your host, Connor McCabe, bring on a guest to hear from them about a meaningful video game from a particular moment in their life. On the show, we talk as much about what made playing that game special, memorable, and what our guests loved about it, as we will get into the context of how and when they had this particular moment or moments with it in their life. A little bit of housekeeping up top is that we're all over social media and uh, you should follow us and check us out there. We're on Instagram at call me by your game pod and we're on Twitter at call me by your game and on Twitter there's just one Y so that's B-Y-O-U-R and there you can see what episodes I have coming out every week. You can learn about our guests, what they're up to, how to support them and even see the cool graphics that I make every week from a very easy template that I have set up. Uh, yeah, and that's a way to interact with the show and give some feedback. You can also support the show by leaving us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if that's on Apple Podcasts, I will read it on the show because I can see those. And if you leave some uh, a review somewhere else like Spotify or wh wh wherever you listen to this show, uh, let me know. Feel free to DM me because I can't – those aren't publicly visible, but I'd still love to shout you out if you take the time to do that for us uh, because it helps some more people uh, find our podcast. Uh, you can also share the show with a friend, whether they love video games in general or the game we're discussing on the main event today. Uh, and we also have a Discord. Uh, so if you want to join that, feel free to either DM the show or check the show notes where we'll have uh, plugs for anything that our guest and I plug today. Uh, and then lastly, you can check us out on Patreon. We're over at patreon.com slash super NPC radio. That's NPC like non-player character. And there we truly have an endless amount of bonus video game uh, content. I, I made a little graphic this week that went on our uh, NPC radio social media that uh, showed you what you get for subscribing at our $10 DJ Toad tier. And it's three bonus podcasts a week, including Super NPCs, our weekly topical show, uh, a bonus show that comes out on Tuesdays. Sometimes that's the Call Me By Your Game co-op. And then Friday, we have our uh, weekly Games Club episode. Currently, we're going through Super Mario 64, chapter by chapter. Uh, and by this week, will be that you're listening. Episode 8 of 12 will come out, so we're making our way through. Anyway, again, if you like me and you want to support the show, uh, we're over at patreon.com slash super NPC radio. But that'll do it for the housekeeping, and I'll finally introduce our guest for the episode. So please welcome co-host of Acts of the Blood God and video game freelance journalist, Nadia Oxford. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Hey, thank you so much uh, for being here and just being so brave to come on the show uh, with a stranger today. Uh, I'm really excited to talk video games with you. Um, how, are, how are you doing today? Uh, is I know that it's, it's around lunchtime where you are it, it, it's getting there yeah and it's like as for coming on a strange like podcast my mom warned me about strangers with vans not really strangers with podcasts so uh, yes i never learned well hey you know what i'm glad that you can't see that this uh my podcast room is actually in a van otherwise you may have not come on <laughs> but uh i'm so excited to have you here today i know you because i've been listening to your show acts of the blood god since about 2019 um and i also hear you you know, on Retronauts as well, one of my other favorite uh, video game podcasts. But Nadia, what do you want to share about yourself with the listener? Uh, and where can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, I've been writing about games online since 2004, maybe even earlier, 2003. I started with oneup.com, God bless, but God rest in peace. Amazing, RIP. But yeah, that was a great site. And from there, I just did a lot of freelance. I've been a, a full-time writer on usgamer.net. 
uh, that's where Acts of the Blood God actually started with Kat yes. Bailey, the editor in chief. Um, when we unfortunately got laid off because uh, of COVID, they Reed Pop was actually nice enough to say, "Okay, you can have the show name." So we took that to Patreon, and thankfully, it's been doing really well. And uh, yeah, I do other stuff as well. I do some localization with games. I do some gaming consultation. I'm currently working on a couple of books, so I'm just uh, kind of chained to my desk. Except when I'm playing Final Fantasy fourteen. Yes, uh, the also the host of the you know I'm not a Final Fantasy fourteen person, but I do see it come across the Patreon feed. The Charlie and Dropouts, the, the Charlie and fourteen Dropouts, podcast yeah. you do. Yeah, I do that with uh, with uh, Mike Williams, who's a good friend and coworker of mine, and and Victor Hunter, another good friend of mine, who got me obsessed in the first place, or one of the people. They're always out there looking for you. Yes, <laughs> they really are. I have a a couple good friends, and one of our uh, contributors on our Patreon. Her her name's Roxy Polk. Uh, she's a huge Final Fantasy fourteen fan, and I've recommended Acts of the Blood God to her not just because it's a fantastic RPG podcast, but because there's so much ff14 stuff that's mm-hmm. not even on the charlene episodes that it, it always comes up uh so like that's kind of where i have my experience from that game is watching her streams and listening to you all talk about it. <laughs> you can correlate connect the cat boys absolutely um but yeah your your podcast and what you all do over there is is so fantastic um i've recommended it on the show before but if, yeah if you're an rpg fan or just a fan of honestly fun people talking about video games it's a great show there will be a link in the show notes and to, like I said, anything uh, that we plug today. Um, I, you were just talking about the transfer from, you know, after uh, US Gamer laid you all off. And I don't know what it was. Sometimes I'll go back and listen to old episodes, whether I'm like playing a game that you've discussed in an episode or, or what have you. Um, but for some reason, I went back and listened to one of those like right after that happened and there just the uncertainty in your voices yeah. was it, it <laughs> really hit me but then i you know thankfully i'm in the future where you've figured it out and you have a thriving patreon uh, we're very lucky yeah for sure yeah. uh and that's all thanks to like support from people like you i hate to sound like you know the soundbite at the end of yes. pretty much every youtube video ever but it's absolutely true Totally. Uh, or me 13 times throughout the podcast as I plug my own Patreon for our network. <laughs> Got to do it. Got to have the yes. hustle. Um, well, Nadia, uh, like I said, I'm really excited to have you on today. Before we get in to your general history with video games, will you please introduce the game uh, that you brought on today and call me by your game? game I brought on today is Secret of Mana, a.k.a. Second Gentetsu um, 2. It is a action RPG by Square Enix. Um, it's very colorful, very charming, has a lot of flaws, uh, especially uh, there's, there is a bad remake that didn't do so well, mm-hmm. but the classic game for all its troubles, like it's still worth playing today, I think, uh, although it does take some patience. Amazing. Uh, this is one of the, you know, golden era SNES uh, JRPGs, or I mean, it's an action RPG, but they mm-hmm. have a lot in common uh, that we haven't discussed uh, on the podcast yet. So I'm really excited for that, too. Um, well, like I said, let's get into your history with games in general. Nadia, when you look back, do you remember like a specific time where you first took an interest in video games as a young one? Yeah, my parents, I tell this joke. It's not even a joke. It's a story all the time. My parents <laughs> went to a hockey game and brought home a ColecoVision. And uh, yeah, then they bought the, they, they bought that with Donkey Kong, which was oh actually gosh. a very, very good port of the arcade game. Then they bought the Atari add-on, the module. And uh, that was uh, 
another part of my childhood. But when I really started to get interested in games, like I liked games, I would play them like, oh, this is fun. I made a high score. I'll go do something else now. I didn't become obsessed until I saw Super Mario Brothers for the first time. It's just mm. like the step up. Like it wasn't just the fact that, okay, here's blinking things on a screen with a score. It's also here's a story. Here is a whole adventure. Here is a beginning and an end. Here is a musical track, which is still a classic to this day. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it ensnared me from there. And uh, I had to wait a long time to get my NES, but it, yeah, I was I was pretty deep into it. Yes, I feel like I've heard you on your show share, like at least vaguely where you saw Super Mario Brothers. Was it at like a friend's house or like someone in the neighborhood? It was a, a, at a friend's birthday party. Her mom was playing the system and it was just like, holy crap, what is cool that? Mom. <laughs> yeah, she was a very, very cool mom, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, a Scottish lady. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, wow. Absolutely. Uh, fantastic. Um, so, okay. So you, you end up, uh, getting an NES at some point. Um, maybe when you, I'd like to hear a little bit about, you know, once you have a little ownership over, you know, gaming as like a hobby. So like, what were some other early games after Super Mario Brothers that you remember making an impact? Uh, of course, there's Super Mario Brothers three. There was uh, well, all the Mar- all the Mario games at the time, yeah. of course. But uh, also, it's one I started to get into RPGs. Oh, nice! Uh, I think, as I recall, my brother borrowed Dragon Quest from someone, Dragon Warrior, back then, and I just fell in love with it instantly. And then, of course, I went to look for Dragon Quest two, which back then uh, games were hella expensive, so <laughs> I mean, they still are. So we'd rent our games, and I rented Dragon Quest two, and then I rented Dragon Quest three, which was just blew me away completely it was one of my life-changing games mm. actually if i didn't play if i didn't talk about secret of mana i could talk about that game very very easily yeah. uh so from there it just kind of escalated um i actually fell off rpgs for a little while in favor of action games of course again rpgs were expensive and hard to find but i was always huge into Mega Man. Mm-hmm. um i was always huge into uh, shoot just like a lot of platformers i was always a big fan of those of course my brother brought home the hockey games i was never a fan of those but <laughs> yeah so it just kind of, I didn't get back into RPGs until the SNES with Secret of Mana, actually, which is one of the reasons I'm talking about it. Oh, very cool. That That's exciting. Um, do you look back, you know, at your uh, at your history with video games? Is it easy for you to, to pick a console as like, that's my personal favorite one that I have the most emotional tie to? Or is that too difficult a task? Uh, it's really a dead heat between the Super Nintendo and the PlayStation. Nice. The Super Nintendo, because it was like the first, like I got so deep into RPGs again because of that system. And the PlayStation, because it was mine. Like yes. this SNES, everyone had to share it. I had to share it with my dad. It's like the TV. We were always fighting about the TV. <laughs> but by the time I got my PlayStation, I was old enough to have a job. I bought my own TV. I bought my own games. Mm. And just the having that freedom to just finally play the games on my own schedule when I wanted like that was a in the dark in my bedroom. That kind of thing is a very kind of nice memory for me. That's fantastic. Uh, that was a, a a patented sort of thing I do on the show is make something someone else is sharing about myself. I'm really good at that. <laughs> of course. And I just wanted to say that the PlayStation for years was the console. In fact, the line of that line of systems were the consoles that like my friends had that I never did. And despite loving my Nintendo 64, my Game Boy, and, and so on and so on, uh, they were always, it was always a sort of a, like a, a mystery to me. Like, what was on mm-hmm. these systems? And not necessarily like, I knew what games was there, but like, I didn't know what it held for me. And so in summer of 2020, we've talked about that a lot. Just even, I think, before we started recording, uh, one of the consoles I got uh, 
on eBay was an original. Well, not an original PlayStation. I got the uh, the PlayStation One, the little tiny cute. version. Yeah, it's really cute. I love that thing. And uh, finally got started to go through some games like Spyro the Dragon, which I loved. Um, and I got a I got like Ape Escape and a, and also for some reason I wanted Final Fantasy IX on on disc, even though it's probably the most impractical way to play it now. For sure, um, for sure, yeah. But since I made it about myself a little bit, I wanted to ask, what are some memorable games for you on that console? Uh, Mega Man X is a very big one. I'm actually mm. very deeply involved in the Mega Man community, uh, even more so when I was younger. I actually, uh, with my husband, we both wrote the Mega Man X. Uh, Maverick Hunter Field Guide, as alongside the Mega Man Robot Master Field Guide, both are available from Udon. You can get it on Amazon Incredible. or anywhere really books are sold. So, playing like I was always a Mega Man fan, like I said, but playing Mega Man X was such a sleek, cool overhaul. And again, I had kind of fallen off Mega Man for a time, and it was mm. like, oh man, Mega Man's back, baby. So that was incredible. Uh, Final Fantasy VI was a big one. Yes. Uh, Chrono Trigger, of course, is Humongo. There's oh, no yeah. argument there. Breath of Fire too. A lot of RPGs, as you can tell. But totally. yeah, I also liked, um, I, I'd have to really look through my collection, but those are the ones off the top of my head that I just were like just a lot to me. I'm The the list can be kind of endless when you have yes. like a special place for a, a console like that. As far as the PlayStation goes, and I promise I won't be asking you about every console and what games you like. Oh, you can uh, if you want. Uh, we'll hey we'll <laughs> we'll make this a really fun long episode because uh, then that is the thing. Sometimes I have I have people of all walks of gaming on the show. Sometimes I have people like ourselves who have dedicated like pieces of our lives to gaming, and we could talk about it. Do we could do pod like hours of podcasts on just your history, and then yes. I have friends on who maybe have had like a few meaningful experiences, but aren't really gamers anymore. Mm-hmm. And so it it had, actually has lent itself to uh sort of variety of types of episodes um so i'm extra excited to have someone on like you today who has a bevy of experience when it comes to the playstation one since that was the one you it was like yours you had ownership over it what are some memorable titles there a lot of sequels i was just thinking that in t- like <laughs> uh final fantasy 7 oh, that yeah. was that was a very big deal um as well as breath of fire 3 also great mm. um symphony of the night of course that was like holy castlevania was another thing i'm really big into and just symphony was like wow this is incredible even though i was confused as hell in the beginning because i had no idea what rondo of blood was and the game kind of opens with that like little story from rondo of blood but whatever uh but yeah the games like that uh mega man x4 was also a great one to play so yeah a lot of sequels but man they were good sequels that's really cool uh yeah the that console especially you know a lot of strangely i mean not strangely we know why it happened but specifically square rpgs coming over and then other franchises like you said castlevania and Mega Man, also continuing to live on the playstation after their nintendo days uh it just was yeah it was a ground for for great sequels like that were you a metal gear solid person at all no i'm very bad at metal gear solid (laughs) (laughs) i played the first game and i was like i'm really bad at this uh yes i've been meaning to play three because i know three has been redone so many times it's Mm -hmm. so easy and accessible now but i haven't gotten around to it yes those are so we do you probably heard me mention that we're doing a super mario 64 games club right now yes Um, that's one of our like big things that we do on our patreon every year uh but we we changed our format so now we're going through a game actually like a book club where it's it's legitimately chapter by chapter in that case world by world sort of Uh or painting by painting but 
uh, we used to do a different format where two years ago we did 18 of the like 21 Zelda games and but we would just do like one episode on each game and last year we split it up to where the first half of the year was like I think nine Metal Gear Solid games and the second <laughs> half was eight Donkey Kong games uh, so no, no real uh, uh, cohesiveness between those two titles but it was my real intro to the Metal Gear Solid series. Um, and it sounds I, like a math problem. If you have eight Metal Gear Solids and nine Donkey Kongs, like <laughs> what do you have left? What do you get? <laughs> Bottom. Uh, and a, Stealthy uh, monkeys. Yeah, you get a year where we make our own DK rap and embarrass ourselves, uh, but it was absolutely <laughs> worth it. Um, anyway, I was just curious about, about that since it was a huge PlayStation title. Um, I'm curious to hear a little bit about your your gaming um, maybe after childhood, so like uh, maybe early adulthood too. Were there any meaningful titles or consoles that you wanted to mention? Uh, early adulthood gaming was a little bit rocky for a while because I got married pretty early at like when I was 20, and it was in 2000, and it was 2001, I think we got married. Yeah, because it was June right before 9 11. That was great. Oh, wow, belated congrats. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, yeah, so we didn't have a lot of money we saved up, we got a GameCube and I nice. did adore Metroid Prime. Like that's, I'm so glad the remake is out. I haven't had yes. a, tra- a chance to play it yet. I love your cutout, by the way. I didn't even point it out. Oh, thank you actually. Like, behind me, there's a, a kind of a cutout. Fr- that's from, that, that Samus is from like the Metroid Prime original like standee, that's the amazing. advertisement. Yeah. My husband went to Walmart and saw they had it. He's like, can I take this? They said, sure, we're done with it. So he brought it home Man, and what, we, we've had it ever since. That's amazing what can happen if you just like ask politely about stuff yes. sometimes. That's incredible. But sorry, I, I did interrupt you. Oh, no problem. Uh, we did have a GameCube. We got a PlayStation 2 very late. So I mm. actually kind of missed out on that era of gaming, which is a bit of a blank spot for me because that was a very important uh, era for RPGs. So yes. whenever we talk about that on on Blood God, I usually get Cat or Eric to cover for me. So, yeah. <laughs> so I only just recently, for example, played Final Fantasy X, which was a Ooh, PlayStation Two game. That, that was that, that ahead, was a great sorry. game. Oh, I, I enjoyed it. Not my favorite Final Fantasy, but yeah. uh, I like Seymour. He's such a nerd. So, <laughs> so <laughs> he really the stupidest is. RPG villain ever. But yeah, so uh, that's pretty. Things got a little bit better with like around the time the Game Boy Advance came out and like we yeah. got our DS and we had like some good friends who would like buy us our PSP and DS and oh, that's stuff fantastic. like that. Uh, we had another friend who gave us their used Xbox 360. And after that, I started to kind of get back on track with gaming because money was coming in a little bit better. I had established myself as a writer. And yeah, Bob's your uncle, as they say. That's amazing. Uh, and like I said, I could feel like I could just ask about any like little like sliver of the pie that you just shared about your the, that like, swath of gaming history um i guess the question uh the next question that i want to ask you is when it comes to you know your gaming recently um has there been a game maybe in the last like two years or so that has uh surprised you that you've really enjoyed uh we talked earlier about ff14 that was a, a huge surprise to me i'm just like surprised at how into it i got into it like especially like in mmorpg i had no plans to and here I am, but uh, yeah. there's a there's a whole lot of great games out lately. Like, um, it wasn't. Uh, I think the the game I last got obsessed with was Elden Ring. Oh yes, because that just that was got about a year ago actually. That was just that surprised the hell out of me because I like Souls games, I like Soulsborne mm-hmm. games, but uh, Bloodborne always felt a little bit confined to me. Same with uh, Dark Souls. So here's 
the game. I like the gameplay loop. I like the lore. I love the lore. But here it is in a much bigger, much more open area. Perfect. Apparently, it's exactly what I wanted. So, Interesting. Yeah. Was it the like the freedom and flexibility that Elden Ring offers compared to the previous Souls games that was the yeah. thing for you? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, there's definitely more room to make mistakes, which is good because I make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> but uh, I'm usually not one to bang my head against a hard game, but yeah. I really enjoyed the challenge there. I actually uh, made damn sure I beat, uh, what's her name? Elena, Melania, Blade McKella, the one, she says her name a thousand times. I can never, <laughs> I can never hang on to it, but I'm not, the, I'm not the kind of person who sits there and like hurts myself to beat a boss, but I just sat yes. there and I made myself beat that boss. And I did. That's uh it's what we call determination, dear listener right there. Uh, that's fantastic. That That's the whole series that I have just not dipped my toe into. Uh, I will, that's actually not true. I tried Sekiro for about two hours one day and was just like this just is not for me mm-hmm. i like wish it was and i'm trying so hard and i think if i really gave it a shot it, it could have been but it's become a sort of a uh, series and style of games that i've been like sort of like really happy for my friends to enjoy uh, yeah yeah like we did we had a bunch of people on our network last year who of course adored elden ring uh and did several episodes on it um across our various podcasts and yeah just was more happy for everybody on that uh even though it wasn't something that i was experiencing it's uh, a fun game to listen yeah. to talk about like yes. um I, like i said even though i wasn't the, the biggest soulsborne fan i always liked the lore so i always liked discussions about the lore and reading it and even when i wasn't big into the gameplay i just liked that aspect of it yeah uh just so much to enjoy it's just so it's so rich and and, mm-hmm, and very deep um is are there the one of the last few questions I have for you is are there any games I, I you probably talked about this on Axe of the Blood God but what are you looking forward to this year when it comes to video games? Oh, this year for sure, uh, Breath of the Wild two, uh, Tears of the Can't Kingdom, um, that's a big one. Uh, the there's a whole bunch of course I'm blanking off the top of my head because uh, <laughs> you <laughs> asked me. But I did forget. just spring this on you, so no no worries at all. But that one. Yeah, that's the sequel, a big one. The sequel to Breath of the Wild, I am really excited for. May 12th, uh, can't come soon enough. I, I'd be curious to know from you, because I'll share how I feel, is that I'm really okay that we have gotten very limited advertising on the game, because I'm going to be there for it, and I w- I'm okay if stuff isn't spoiled, but I know that there have been people out there who have been frustrated at the lack of, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, uh, shoving the game in our face at this point do you care either way i was initially a little disappointed that we haven't heard more but yes. uh, a friend of mine on twitter said you know they're probably just doling it out uh, on purpose like mm. uh, you know in little bits and bites especially since this is the game for nintendo this year yes uh, unless they spring a surprise on us which they probably won't this is a big big one for them yeah. so i realized okay yeah i see where you're coming from i see why they're doing that and it's not so bad i, I mean it, it frustrates me when i think about it initially but it's like you know what it's good for us to all to slow down sometimes and you know remember what it was like when we had to get our information about games from like magazines that were three months behind yes uh and we didn't have you know hundreds of podcasts and several and many websites and twitter and all that stuff to break it all down for oh, us God, no. <laughs> uh yeah i'm re- i'm really really excited about that uh i mean strangely enough we're recording this episode a day before the sixth anniversary of the switch launch uh which came with the original breath of the wild um yeah uh i, I lined up for that launch i remember that oh really i i remember i had 
a uh what was it also how was that was were you in the snow at that time was it nice? oh no it was it was actually us gamer um cat said to me hey do you want to write something about picking up your your midnight your switch at midnight and i'm like uh because i would not have gone to that midnight launch if not yes. for the fact that this was inside of a mall because oh, okay gotcha <laughs> I, I i actually like bragged about that on twitter said hey this is actually pretty cool i'm waiting inside where it's warm and comfy and bill trinan actually retweeted that so that was pretty funny oh wow that's so funny yeah uh, that's incredible i i got like a second wave of the pre-orders they were doing for the mm -hmm. switch like i missed the first one and i i was able to get one on the second and so i had i had one come to me and I used to host uh, an improv show like every Thursday night for several years that started at 11, meaning it started at 11.15 and I got home usually at like 12.45. Yeah. Uh, and oftentimes this is a, a, a peek behind the curtain for the listener, but I would I would stop by McDonald's on the way home. I'd get uh, the, one of the two burgers for like $2 at the time, give one to my roommate. I'd have one and we usually stay up and have like a drink together and just like, just chat. Yeah. Uh, and so- I would often be sleeping in on Fridays and I got a knock at the door at like maybe 10 a.m. that day. And my roommate brought in a box which had my switch in it. So oh, probably the best thing I've ever woken up to in my life. Just uh, don't tell my girlfriend that. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, just a really memorable uh, time uh, for me. Um, well, Nadia, um, we've gotten to hear, you know, at least a, a, a good sampling of your history with games. Is there anything about your general history that you would be remiss if you didn't share before we hit the break? Uh, gosh, just I guess it's always been a little bit weird being a, a girl gamer because uh, I it's, it, I did have a lot of guys support me and be my friend and like, mm. you know, talk about games with me. But then I guess they made fun of for talking to a girl. So they stopped talking to me, which is a little bit sad. But oh. yeah, I, I do have to say I've been lucky to kind of be on this journey, be on this pathway and kind of. I never expected it to to lead to anything uh, lucrative, God knows. Yeah. Especially in the 90s, if you were like so deep in the games as I was, your parents could have like packed you off to a psychologist because <laughs> mine didn't do anything like that. But they were there was a, a lot of, of, of worry about, oh, violence in games, this and that, this and that. People had nothing better to worry about back then. Totally. So, yeah, um, it's just been a it's just amazing how video games can really tell stories in every medium possible, visual, mm. writing music it's pretty cool so yeah i just enjoy the fact that they exist and i enjoy writing about them and talking about them clearly awesome well uh i'm sure you know but a lot of people really appreciate your voice in the industry and just you bringing i think i know we've talked a little bit about your show already but you bringing yourself i think is what makes what you all do and you specifically really special over it you know not just acts of the blood god but everywhere that you you know, mm -hmm. make your nice. stamp in video games, of, of course. And, uh, but anyway, thank you for sharing again about your history with games. We're no going to go ahead and take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll hear uh, any about anything you have to share when it comes to Secret of Mana. So I will see you on the other side. Welcome back to Call Me By Your Game, of course, here with Nadia Oxford to discuss The Secret of Mana. Nadia, welcome back. Thank you very much. Um, 
so let's just get right into it. We're going to do a little table setting, as I told you before the show, of what this game is, uh, just to uh, bring the listener up to speed in case they're not familiar with it. And also, like I said before the show, if you'd like to interject at any time or share anything, uh, please do. I might even be like, well, Nadia, why don't you tell us about this game? <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, so I'll I'll just start by getting into uh, just a brief summary of what this is. So Secret of Mana, originally released in Japan as Second Densetsu 2, is a 1993 action RPG developed and published by Square, now knows, of course, as Square Enix, mm -hmm. uh, for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, it's the sequel to the 1991 game Second Densetsu, released in North America as Final Fantasy Adventure and in Europe as mystic quest uh i'm very confusing yes <laughs> very very confusing strangely enough i've never played and this is my confession to you today i've never played secret of mana i do have it on my little snes classic over here yes it's right there um but final fantasy adventure is a game that i played as a kid and still have on cartridge and i love that game have you played this one before oh yes i have it's a lovely little uh, action RPG, yeah. um, kind of in the vein of Zelda. If you like Zelda, you would like Final Fantasy Legend, no problem. It is, the thing I remember most about it is it has like the most cheerful, amazing, not really cheerful, but kind of, uh, that's what I'm looking for. It has a real vibe for yeah. its theme, its main theme. It has a great main overworld theme. Yes. It has a great soundtrack in general. It has really cute cartoony graphics that work really well in the Game Boy because everything's so big and bubbly and interesting to look at for that reason. It's not like Game Boy games always had a problem with squished, blurry yeah. graphics. <laughs> uh has a fun story, which not translated the best, of course. It's like yes. a early 90s uh, RPG. But uh, yeah, it's I played it actually recently, recently-ish. Oh. There was a uh, remake, is a remake, as far as I know, on the iPhone or iOS. Oh, and wow. it was it was good. Like, I thought it was a good remake. I think it was on the PSP as well. But I was hoping they'd bring it to the Final Fantasy, sorry, the Secret of Mana collection that mm. they brought to the Switch. And unfortunately, it wasn't there. They do have the original. Okay, uh, gotcha. But not the fun. port you were saying, or the 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 remaster. In no, unfortunately, gotcha. uh, there's actually also an iOS remake uh, of a revamp of Secret of Mana, which has oh. not been brought over, which makes me angry. But we'll talk about that, I'm sure. Uh, fun little fact about Final Fantasy Adventure slash Secret of Tetsu: You have the character of Watts, who is the little dwarf guy who uh, yeah. you know forges your stuff. He's a Secret of Mana as well. He is a character who has carried over like in Square games for years upon years like he's actually an ff14 there is a character named watts and he's a dwarf and he's a he's a blacksmith so i always love that little bit of trivia there oh my gosh he's like another sid uh he's very much another sid not that, every single game but a lot of games yes uh that's that's amazing i had no idea about that uh thank you for sharing that with me um Anytime. but yeah a fun fantasy adventure awesome game i got was lucky enough to get an analog pocket after waiting 12 months that uh, i got it in december first game i played well i meant to play mother 3 first i played metroid zero mission then i played mother 3 blew me away and final fantasy adventure sitting there and i want to i want to get into that mm -hmm. too um but anyway uh it so um the this game secret of mana was the first second densetsu title to be ma marketed as part of the mana series rather than the final fantasy series uh, set in a high fantasy universe, the game follows three heroes as they attempt to prevent an empire from conquering the world with the power of an ancient flying fortress. Um, 
Also, I'm just going to keep reading from this, but feel free to jump in at any time. Uh, rather than using a turn-based battle system like contemporaneous role-playing games, uh, such as you know Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy yeah. Six, Earthbound, uh, Secret of Mana features real-time battles with a power bar mechanic. It's uh yeah, it's quite a bit like Zelda, but not yes. exactly. Like the power bar mechanic tends to that's what tends to trip people off a lot of the time. The idea is I think this is actually the way it is in adventure as well. You swing, you wait until you charge back up to hundred percent, and then you swing again. You can swing before that, but you won't have full power. Yes. So some people think it's like Zelda, oh, I just hit this enemy and it'll, you know, bounce away and it'll come back and I I don't have to recover at all. But no, it's not like that. You can also charge your weapons. There are I don't remember the na- the the number of weapons you can get off the top of my head, but there's like a bow, there's a a pole dart, there's a sword of course. That's like the the central to the game's plot. Um there's like a spear, there's a whole bunch of uh it's actually uh, also fighting gloves. You can you can punch enemies. Ooh. So- and the idea is you have to upgrade these as you go along and you can charge them for really you know hard attacks but it takes a long time to charge for that Mm. so uh yeah story-wise it's quite simple it is basically as you said there's an evil empire they're seeking seeking the power of mana which is all around us i suppose like to (laughs) it's the life energy of the planet to take over the world and what makes it really kind of interesting in a way is secret mana is also uh a sequel to our own world like it is implied heavily implied that our civilization blew ourselves up using mana um the same thing happened with the mana fortress and what happens was uh when you when you resurrect the mana fortress a mana beast will resurrect along with it with it and attack the fortress and restore balance to the world but doing so basically erases the world you have to start over again so oh, wow. this has happened once and civilization grew out of that again and uh then of course the empire says hey let's screw with this again so that's what you're trying to prevent. You're trying to prevent another like apocalypse from happening. And as you play, you will find uh, bits of the old society. Like you will find actually, of course, it was the 90s. So you'll find videotapes of like people witnessing the last moments of Earth. And you'll actually find an entire subway underground at one point too. And you go through it. So yeah, oh, I think that's wow. one of the things that really attracted me to it. It was just such a, uh, by that point, I was more familiar with like the more straightforward stories of Dragon Quest, save the princess, blah, blah, blah. Yes. But the idea that, oh, this is there was a civilization here. It was us and we destroyed everything. Uh, of course, I knew like Planet of the Apes and whatnot. But for me in a video game, that was a, a very big deal. I'm pretty sure by that point in Japan, it had been done 50 times. But, you know, in the West, it was just very new to me. Yes, very. I mean, of course, it, it might even come up on this episode, but just the the similarities that this game has with Chrono Trigger seem to never end in, in ways. Yeah. And though, like specifically what you just said, it also, you know, again, this is not an original idea, but very similar to what I think of with like the Horizon series is that you yes. know it's in some sort of post-apocalyptic world but there's clearly was a civilization before then that you can sort of explore um very very interesting there was also i know that again not a game i've played but there was a co-op multiplayer system that you could even play with a third person oh yeah yeah if you had a shoot i forget what the multi-tap was called maybe it was called the multi-tap but maybe. you could you could play with three people once you got all three characters. You don't start with all three characters. You have to recruit them as you go along. I never really played much of the multiplayer. A lot of people say that was their best memory of the game. Mm. And to be fair, the AI in that game is atrocious. <laughs> and there's a big, big problem where people, where uh, your characters can get stuck behind things and then you have to go back and retrieve them. And if you're trying to oh, yes. run away from an enemy, that, that's not going to happen. So yeah, the hitboxes in the game are absolutely 
they're just madness. Yeah. They're, they're just consider the whole screen a hitbox. So that's <laughs> a couple of the reasons why uh, Secret of Mana, maybe some people still are, are, are quite frustrated by it. Sure, but I'm sure the things that we could, you know, get through and figure out, and every every amazing game has its own things. Um, the I'm going to continue sharing here. The game received considerable acclaim for its brightly colored graphics, expansive plot, a ring command menu system, uh, and its innovative real-time battle system. What's the, can you tell me a little bit about the ring command menu system? The ring, it's a very strange thing. It's very iconic of Mana, but it was never very good. Uh, you pull up and uh, on the SNES, which remember my muscle memory here, you you press X, it pulls up a ring that has your like all your options, you know, uh, armor, status, weapons, blah blah blah, like how to you know equipment, and you can push up or down to bring up like your separate items or your separate weapons, um, your magic. Once you get magic, mm. it's uh, it's very cute. Uh, but I don't know if it's really practical. To yeah. Be with you. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so almost like, yeah, you're doing everything out of this ring system. That's that isn't you. I I think my instinct would be that oh, the the ring would be like a part of your like uh, equipment that is separate from everything. But it seems like everything stems out from that. Yes. Um. I think in future amount of games, it's a little more. Yes, you have the ring system, but you also have a regular ass inventory that okay. will <laughs> destroy you. So cool. <laughs> or um, both. Thank you for uh, clarifying what that is for me. Uh, critics also praised the soundtrack by Hiroki Kakuda uh, and the customizable AI settings for computer-controlled allies, which is uh, which uh, we, you know, which seems to be mixed reviews there. Actually, yeah, they usually <laughs> kind of suck. There is, there is a certain position I can't remember what it is off the top of my head where the enemy, where your, where your uh, characters won't kill themselves mm. but they won't be very helpful in battle either you got to find that balance there yeah. it does exist but it's a it's a real pain in the butt to kind of tailor if you're not really familiar with the game the soundtrack is incredible still one of the most incredible snes soundtracks yes. i think uh standouts include like the final um theme for when you're traveling the uh world on the back of a white dragon and everything's mm. just like kind of thunder and lightning and it's really cool and very interesting mix of genres uh there's a for sure if even if you don't like the game like look up the soundtrack because yes. it's it's worth your time the main theme specifically while i have almost no experience with the game i know the main theme in my head because i've listened to it a million times on like youtube while like trying yeah. to write or do other stuff uh, it's gorgeous the game actually starts with a kind of a whale sound and mm. uh Apparently that takes up a lot of memory, but they they really wanted it there. Yeah. So there it is. <laughs> it was kind of meant to invoke the message of environment versus technology, which of course is very much a theme in the game. Yeah. Uh, bringing back the old ways versus living more in harmony with nature, which uh, still resonates today. That's for sure. We were a little less serious about it in the 90s, but it was definitely there. Definitely. Uh, almost, a, it unfortunately, can feel a little defeatist at times now. We're like, well... Oh yeah, I think this well. is it. <laughs> um, the the whale uh, anecdote is really interesting. Uh, that's that's really fantastic. The whale had to stay in the picture. Yeah. Um, lastly, that I have to share here is that the original uh, version was re-released for the Wii's Virtual Console uh, in Japan in September 2008, and for the Wii's Virtual Console in June 2013. Uh, the game, as you've sort of alluded to, was ported to phones uh, in mm -hmm. Japan originally in 2009, and then an enhanced port of the game was released for iOS in 2010 and Android in 2014. 
Um, did you, sorry, did you say you had a little experience with that version? Yeah, now that yes. you mentioned uh, you mentioned a, a 2008 version, I'm guessing that would have been on a feature phone, but by God, I didn't even know that it existed. I know there was a feature phone version of Sigin Densetsu, mm. um, the original Final Fantasy adventure, but gosh, like on Retronauts, I had just finished a, I had just finished a, uh, an episode about feature phone games in Japan. Amazing. And that went, that's currently, at the time of this recording, is currently live for patrons, but yes. if you wait uh, next week, it will be free, so definitely go ahead and like and and listen to that because my hosts my, sorry my guests were the ones who did all the work like they're feature phone game preservationists so wow. i what i can tell you is japan had a massive massive feature phone market which completely separate from the rest of the world and that included some really really fancy uh feature phone games of which square made many so i can totally believe there is a secret of mana for the for the feature phones i've never seen it but that's great i want to look into that now uh, ios version Yes, I have that released in 2010. It's great. Like it basically cleans up the graphics. It cleans up the translation. The original translation mm. was kind of a little bit spotty, obviously. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that version never came out anywhere else. And even playing it now, it's so hard because it's not really meant for like good monitors anymore. It's it's really kind of meant for those. Like I played it on my 3G back in the day. That tells <laughs> you what kind of like visuals you're gonna get. So yeah. I tried playing it on iPad, and I was like, "Oh God, this looks terrible." I'd love to see that re-release, just because it was a. It also fixed up a lot of the problems with the bugs and the AI. I think mm. it rebalanced some stuff because there's some boss fights that are stupid. But yeah, I'm really disappointed we never got that. Oh. Uh, the version on the on the SNES Classic that that's the the original. It's perfectly fine. Original's great. And that is, I think, the version you will also find on the collection for the Switch. Okay. So, yeah, you have options for sure. Yes. Uh, interesting. And on, learning about this, the feature phone market, I'm like, I don't need to learn about another thing I'm going to want uh, to like <laughs> look on eBay for. But uh, I, I'm excited to hear that Retronauts episode. That sounds really fun. Um, uh, lastly, is that uh, we, we, we have been talking about it, but it, this game was included in the collection of Mana release mm -hmm. for Nintendo Switch uh, way back in June 2017 in Japan, but then in North America in It took a long time to get here. I was yeah. going to say, that's Switch launch year? Really? No. Um, not for us, at least. Uh, no. Nintendo uh, also re-released it in 2017 as part, of course, the SNES Classic that we've been talking about. And then the full 3D remake, which you mentioned, uh, was released for the PS4, Vita, and Windows in 2018, which is not great, correct? It, yeah, unfortunately... Uh, there is actually a great 3D sequel or a remake of Second Dead 3, aka mm. Adventure of Mana. I don't know. Yes. I don't remember what they call it. Trials of Mana. That's it. Oh. But the 2D, sorry, the 3D version of Secret of Mana, which is more of a 2.5D, actually. It's uh, the graphics aren't great. The music is really interesting. Like they mm. brought in a whole bunch of guest composers, so it's every, it's all over the place. Oh wow. Uh, so unfortunately, while it is interesting, it doesn't have that that sort of uniform sound that uh, the original soundtrack has. Uh, there's voice acting; it's not good. Oh. There's some expansion of the story, which is which is fine, but unfortunately, the voice acting is bad, so it makes it <laughs> all bad. Uh, the characters don't move their mouths when they talk, which drove me up the wall. And yeah, it's uh, not the best, not the worst, but for sure, I would play the original over it. Mm. Okay, good to know. Now, is there anything about the just the game itself that we should uh, bullet point stuff that we should get out before we start talking about your personal history? Uh, it's just a, a really good, I think, entry point for RPGs, for action RPGs, even though it does have its problems that I mentioned here. It was my entry point, and mm. 
I was really dumb at that point when it came to RPGs. So <laughs> don't be scared of it, despite everything I've been saying up here. Mm, I'm really dumb now when it comes to RPGs. So it sounds like I could get into, into <laughs> it. Uh, that's good to know. Um, well, thank you for helping me uh, set the table. Um, and you may have mentioned it a little earlier in your brief history of games uh, in general, but can you tell me about how you came to play this game in the first place? Uh, I was going out with a guy who basically recommended it. And I went ahead and picked it up because at the time, like I said, I had fallen off RPGs for the most part. Uh, this was 1993, so I would have just gotten my SNES. I got it pretty late in life. And I was playing action games like Star Fox and Mega Man X and nice. all of that stuff. And um, the last time I had played RPGs was on the NES. Like I said, I was a big Dragon Quest fan. Mm -hmm. But Dragon Quest, Square Enix, sorry, Enix, the Enix part of Square back then, closed down their uh, American studios around the end of the S of the NES's life. So I never really kept playing Dragon Quest the way that Japan did, unfortunately, which mm. is a shame because five is one of the best in the series, but that never came to us and, until many, many years later. And so I was just, kind of, I don't remember why this, the topic came up. This guy just told me, hey, you know, rent Secret of Mana, you'll love it. And I said, okay. And I rented it and I loved it. And that's basically all there, that's as exciting as it gets practically. It just, took me over all of a sudden like I hadn't I hadn't really expected to fall in love with it I think yeah. what what brought me to it were two things number one the music the mm -hmm. graphics and those well, three things now also the story it's a very simple story and looking back on it like it's not like anything incredible or amazing but there's a definitely a vibe to it a vibe to all mana games I find where it's it's dark but cheerful at the same time and mm. even though it was my first story like one of my first rpg stories like was really serious to me like even though i think of it now as kind of simple i still think of that vibe and think yeah that was actually kind of very unique to the game so that's yeah. uh it, it just hit for me all everything all at once and the gameplay of course was was a, had a very satisfying loop to it figuring it out was also you know kind of nice for me as well i was you know not the greatest at, at problem solving and puzzle solving so <laughs> stuff like even the simple games helped me out a little bit in that regard yeah, I can very much relate to you there, which is a problem because my favorite series is the Zelda series. So yeah. throughout playing those games, as much as they are my favorites, I'm I'm feeling so dumb. I'm getting stuck on stuff that it, the solution is right there. So um, I can definitely relate to you there. That's amazing. So it sort of sounds like that um, from the moment you started this game that it just really took a hold of you. Or, or did mm -hmm. it take a little bit of time after sampling it? No, it was uh, it was almost immediate. Um, I, back then, when you rented a game, you tended to get other files on there from previous players, yes. and often these these players were far ahead of you, probably at the end of the game. So maybe I think what happened with me was, yeah, I started playing. I'm like, this is fun, this is cool, I really like this. But then I loaded up the save and saw like, wow, everything's different, everything's changed. Like, how did this happen? What's going on? And of Ooh. course, when you have a game like that, everything's unlocked. And so, oh, I'm going to get on this dragon. I'm going to fly around. We, I don't, have, I don't have to wait. I don't have to play the game. It's right here, right now. So that helped, I think, get me really deep into the game, really, like, you know, alongside just starting my own adventure. Yeah. Uh, that tended to happen a lot with rental games back in the day. It happened with me in Final Fantasy VI as well. Like, wow, this is really awesome. I love this. Oh, this save file has 60 hours on it. Let's see what happens. Wow, is this a different game? What's going on? So I don't remember being in this world in Final Fantasy Yeah, VI. I remember everything being burnt to the ground. Yeah, this can't be the same area. Um, that's interesting. I, I, I don't think about that often because I didn't 
rent RPGs as a kid back when I would have still been going to like Blockbuster or Hollywood Video with my family to rent games. But um, I do know what it's like to, you know, get like an old card off eBay and it has uh, Mm -hmm. like a finished game on it. And it's it is fun to dip into those. It's almost like especially if you're a new player to a game, a little carrot being dangled out, like see what you can have if you continue with this game. I think it also helps with me that um, growing up, there weren't many uh, like Blockbuster didn't come here for a very long time. I don't know what they're what held them up. But when I rented games, it was from independent mom and pop shops where you could get a game for like a week for ten dollars. And that's crazy. That was crazy. So, of course, yeah, because you're right. If you rented an RPG from Blockbuster, you're bringing it back the next day. But an RPG, you can theoretically not really get through it within a week, but you could uh, put a good dent in it especially if you got some free time, like you can make a lot of progress. Uh, that's, that's incredible. Do you remember, um, this is going to be the first time I sort of dip into like memory and context, like where you would have rented this from, or even the name of this old rental store? Yeah, I think it would have been, we, we typically went to a place, it was re- literally called independent video. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> kind of said what it was on the tin right there. Incredible. Uh, it would have been around, probably around the summertime or spring in 1993. So yeah, we would have gone there. That's where we would have rented from. It would have been for a week. And yeah, um, I remember that definitely, we definitely had the file at the end of the game where I tried to beat the Mana Beast. That's fantastic. Um, So what do you, you've, you've already sort of sampled a little bit for me, the aspects of the game that were, that like drew you in or were memorable or still were. Um, But do you have like one of those, um, like you talked about, I'm like figuring out the questions I'm asking it. You talked about figuring out the game and 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 getting used to it. Can you talk a little bit about what that either felt like or anything you might remember about that for this game? Well, when I got the game, I wasn't very good at games, mm. especially RPGs, like I said. And I found myself getting very frustrated with getting stuck behind things, uh, with enemies beating the hell out of me. But I kind of taught myself, like I persevered because I liked the game so much that I it's one of those games where it teaches you to get good. So yes. <laughs> even though in, in many cases, it wasn't really my problem. It was the game mm-hmm. uh, kind of hanging me up. But I, I definitely had to learn a rhythm. I had to learn how to use magic efficiently. I had to learn how to use my items efficiently. So that was a good place for me to really start getting into RPGs and realizing, okay, I can't run away from every battle. I have to stop and stand my ground once in a while and and, and kick the slime's ass. Yes, uh, that's that's fantastic. Really learning by doing uh, with a not just a new game, but a new genre. That's that can be such a challenge sometimes. Yeah, especially since back then, like if you rented a game for the week, that was all you're getting. My my parents weren't taking that back and getting me another one. So you learn to love it. Totally. There's it's it's interesting how we're able to consume games today versus in the past and how that's changed over time. And now, of course, you know, if you have something like Game Pass or or just a, a library of games, like you could just turn it off and be like, well, sure, $10 wasted, but I don't care. But back then, it would have been something that you'd have been like, no, I rented this. I can't exchange it. I just got to yeah, try if you, you want to try. That's how I surmounted a lot of really cruddy games. Like, I have a real soft spot for Bram Stoker's Dracula on the SNES. <laughs> I hated that game. I still hate that game, but I, I played it and I finished it because it was there. I had nothing else going on. That's how I feel about Who Framed Roger Rabbit on the NES. Oh, I hate a, that game. So a game much. I've never come close to finishing, but as a kid, that was like, and it remains one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, yeah, so it's a great I would movie. try. 
my grandparents are from uh they were from st louis missouri and so when we would visit them like they had a few games a lot of licensed stuff like the goonies 2 which is actually good it's a great game Um, yeah and then they had pieces of garbage like back to the future or who framed roger (laughs) rabbit that i would just try so hard to play but was just so bad at as a young kid so I can relate to like beating your head against the wall for what you have and having like a nostalgia for it. Mm. We we occasionally do uh, one of my favorite format of shows we do on our network. We'll do console drafts where we put ourselves in a fictional like a desert island sort of space scenario where our ship always gets hit by an asteroid every time we go up. <laughs> uh, and so th- those of us who are on the ship uh, before we get into our escape pods have to pick or basically do like a fantasy football snake draft to pick. Right our five games for the system and when one gets taken it's gone for my last pick on the nes i was like look i know this game sucks but i'm taking who framed roger rabbit because (laughs) i'm gonna be in space forever and i can beat my head against it um i mean it has a great soundtrack that's by david wise right there a famous rare composer i didn't know that yeah yeah oh my uh, gosh i actually just recently found out david wise also did the soundtrack to uh god it was like some sesame street game on the nes and it was hilarious (laughs) because i'm a big david wise fan he did the the music of course for donkey Kong country and many many other games uh it was like some i I just turned i I just listened to this this uh sesame street game and i'm like that's david wise like immediately like that is him yeah that's amazing just like can hear it even in something is that you wouldn't expect like that Um, and it's so funny because the nes is such a limited sound chip such a limited sound like way to use sound but to have your own signature sound on the nes like that's talent right there i'm just saying that it really is uh it just yeah what a distinct composer uh I feel like I in a different way I can hear like Yoko Shimamura's music. Yes. Um I mean and I you know I know a lot of the games she composed so it's of course I know but like you can hear a song and be like that's her uh right there. So similar with David Wise. She um, wrote the ending song for Super Mario RPG. I think yes. it's called Parade or something like that. And that's one of the greatest ending themes ever made. Oh my gosh, I'm I look forward to that. I'm playing through it for the first time right now. Oh. Uh How do you like it? I love this game this is a game that i had like one of my my best friend patented best friend of the show that i referred to all the time because this is a nostalgia (laughs) show Uh, my friend eddie he had it growing up and it was like his rpg that i really only ever played like the first hour of at his house but i'm i've been streaming my entire playthrough on twitch uh playing my mini and which so a i really love this game uh it's it's i could talk about it forever but b i'm pumped because it's going to isn't it the new um it's like the new pantheon episode or there's an episode coming out we we have pantheon the blood god which is where we take the game and we analyze it and say does this deserve to be recognized amongst the rpg greats and this month is we just started was is super mario rpg a game that i have played so many times that it's like embedded in my memory and uh try to find the secret uh boss battle there with culex you, you know, I think, so I know about this boss and I think I know where it might be because I just got to, I have five stars right now. I know you really wanted to know about exactly where I am in the game. Uh, of course. I have five stars and I am just left Monstro Town to go to the next star area. Yeah. I'm, there's a door in Monstro Town. I might be wrong, but it wouldn't, I couldn't open. And I, there's an NPC that tells you there's like something on the other side of the yeah. wall. So I could be onto something here. You're on to something, but Ooh. getting it unlocked, that's another story. Oh, man. Uh, well, anyway, I'm really excited for that episode um, uh, that, you, that you all will be doing. But uh, I've gotten us a little in the weeds, so I'm sorry about that. Oh, no um, problem. 
when it comes to the game itself, Secret of Mana, is there a moment in the game that sticks out to you as uh, most memorable? Uh, there is, towards the end of the game, I say the last quarter of the game, you are dealing with the uh, aforementioned ancient civilization and realizing what's going on because you have to raise this quote-unquote sunken continent, which, number one, the music for the raising that that happens afterwards it's just so incredible but mm. yeah so you have to raise this continent and you have to kind of travel through it which means going deep underground and that's where you find out it's like almost like adventure time when they go underground and they find like the old civilizations and stuff like that uh-huh. that's where you find the subway and the subway is full of zombies which i didn't understand those implications so much later in yes. my life <laughs> <laughs> but that is a, a like you've been through this kind of medieval world with like you know uh sakura forests and you know snowscapes and stuff like that and then all of a sudden you're in this world full of technology uh you're fighting these mechanical enemies and yeah it's just you realize okay this was us we just kind of blew ourselves up with mana somehow we you know like we we are want to do so going through that and having that story told to me without words was kind of a new experience for me and that was that was pretty amazing and is it like the do they do environmental storytelling? Is that what you mean by without yes. words? Yeah. Yes, it's all environmental storytelling. Mm. Uh, perfect example: the zombies in the train. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there's some conclusions we can draw from this. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a. Uh, it was just like wow, what what a great twist! Like again, not anything original, but to me, it was it was pretty original. Amazing. Um, I want to continue to dip in a little bit to the context of when and how and where you would have been playing this. So um, when you would have been playing Secret of Mana, can you sort of do a little scene painting for me on like what your setup would have been and what room you would have been playing this in? Sure. It would have been May-ish, April, May-ish, 1993. Wow. Uh, I lived in a, a rented house with my parents that smelled like cigarettes from the old tenants. Never really got rid of that. And- <laughs> <laughs> and I would have been playing on my uh, my parents had one of those real old beasts of a television that yes. like had the wood paneling and stuff and that was on the floor oh, so wow. I'd have been playing on the floor with my SNES in the living room because my parents didn't really believe in me having my own TV yeah. in my own room until I was a little bit older and I would have had to kind of wrestle with my dad like I mentioned because he'd be he'd want to watch the Jays and I'd be wanting to be like, I'd want to play the I'd want to play the stupid Super Nintendo and I'd be sitting on a very shaggy red rug. Yes, incredible. The gosh, shaggy rugs. My shaggy that's rugs. those same grandparents from St. Louis. Like their whole basement was like carpeted with stuff like that. It wasn't even just like a rug you could move. It was that's no. what it was. Uh, so I like know what it feels like and smells like when you even say that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I remember the smell very well. That's incredible. I I happen to be an enormous baseball fan, so I I just wanted to say I appreciate that your dad was uh, watching the Jays, and that would have been. I'm pretty sure they won like back-to-back World Series right around then. They did. I'm trying to remember. Was it 91 and 92 or 92 and 93? And then the strike happened and people stopped caring for a while. Yeah, I don't. I, for sure, 92. And I just don't. It was either one, 91 or 93. They won. The I other. think it was 91. But yeah, yeah. Uh, my parents are big sports fans. They've always been big Jays fans. Yeah. Big Leafs fans for all the disappointment they get out of that. Yes. Not really into the Raptors, though. Gotcha. That's that's cool, though. So any anytime baseball even remotely gets brought up, I have to point it out because uh, because I love it. Oh, of course. Um, But thank you for doing a little scene painting. That is that's so fun to like be sort of transported to that world that you would have been playing in. Um, And now context wise, is there anything about like 
either like broad context about your life at that time that you want to share about that you would have been doing or going through? I, yeah, I was in grade eight. It was nice. a grade eight was a good year. Like that's when I really started getting into gaming. I was always I, I was pretty good. At, like that. Uh, I was in the kind of household where if I didn't have good grades, I couldn't play the Nintendo anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> thankfully, I kept my grades up no problem with grade eight, and that's when I was playing my SNES. And uh, God knows, one of the reasons I kept my grades up because I didn't want to lose it. Yes. Uh, although Motivation. I do remember the week that I rented it, I had procrastinated on my homework so badly <laughs> that Saturday <laughs> night, Sunday night was looming. I'm like, oh God, I haven't done a thing. I just play Secret of Mana all friggin' weekend. Uh, but yeah, that was, um, it would have been going out of grade school and going into high school. So that wow. transition was happening. Uh, a lot of time. Yeah. It was a volatile time, but not a bad, not in a bad way. Yeah. A lot of change. Uh, that's, that's really interesting. Also, uh, yeah, Phantom of the Opera was, uh, I can't remember if it came back to Toronto or something. No, it was always in Toronto. Sorry. What happened was, uh, my brother went on a field trip to see the Phantom of the Opera. So that mm. was all over my house at the same time I was playing the game. Oh wow! Like the like the soundtrack, or was he like describing it? Do you remember? Both. Like he went to go see it as as part of his school, but my uh, yes. mom went with him, and she loved it too. So she bought the soundtrack, and that was just like being played all the time in my house. Gosh, two enormous blind spots for me: Phantom of the Opera and Secret of Mana, both on this podcast <laughs> today. Um, that what a fun like uh way to sort of color that scene too. That's amazing. Do you um as far as this game goes, whether it would have been then or in the future uh, have you like revisited this game over the years are there any specific memories that you have that you want to share in context with the game yeah i i revisit it all the time yeah like it is one of my comfort games and i'm just feeling kind of sad or down or or whatever i i fired up i very recently started a new game that's right it was because i had covid so of mm. course i was sick because like uh yeah. playing anything i could have to think about i'm gonna play yes. a game i want to uh also my brother um his brother-in-law just recently passed away just very suddenly. And that mm. was one of, that was his favorite game as well. So I just kind of oh. was reminded and thought, uh, nope, I'll kind of play it in his honor. So yeah, I did that very recently. Okay. That's, that's cool. Uh, it's, it's fun. Sometimes people bring on games where they're like, I played that once or I watched someone play it and that was it. And then there's times like this where it's like, oh, this is one that I'm going to be revisiting forever. Yeah. Essentially. Like I'm just always bugging Square on Twitter, like, hey, release the iOS port, please. Yeah, just <laughs> it's a, a do great something. port. <laughs> I'm going to poke you with a stick. Do you do it? That's that's amazing. Um, Nadia, I feel like I've gotten to hear so much uh, wonderful uh, detail from you, not just about like the game itself, but the context in your life. Is there anything that you didn't get to share about either the game or the context today? Uh, just how... One thing I, I really enjoy about the Mana games, especially the first Mana game and um, this game in particular, is neither of them really have good endings, like very happy oh. endings. They're very sad in their own ways. Like in, in Secret of Mana 2, uh, sorry, in Secret of Mana, uh, small spoiler, like the sprite kind of doesn't really die. They won't say that he dies because yeah. it's, a, it's, it's an SNES game in the 1993. They wouldn't say that. But <laughs> it's when you when you win the game, you're your party is separated like you're you you beat the mana beast and your sprite friend is just gone and you never see him again and he implies that yes the mana beast since that's made up of mana and beating the beast will kind of reset everything he will disappear because he's a sprite he's a he's a woodland creature oh. and that happens and in the original adventure of mana um sorry final fantasy adventure the you beat the game and 
you you the characters are in love but they can't be together because one becomes the tree and the other becomes the defender of whatever the hell the tree does so yeah <laughs> i just appreciate the fact that both these games um probably other mana games too to be honest just don't they don't give you happy endings they don't say here's your reward for beating this game it's like oh you beat the game you saved the world that's great but you lost something very precious to you so uh yeah. haha it's a real dose of reality in a way um no no not necessarily a silver lining but that's that's interesting um that i feel is like distinct for uh a game like that that's really cool yeah, yeah um, you would think it's such a you know cute looking game candy coated graphics and no it has a has a couple of really harsh moments in it yeah um well before we move on to the post show segments that i have prepared for you would you do me a favor and just put a bow on whatever uh place this game holds in your life this is one of the most important games in my life. It got me back into RPGs. I still play it when I need to feel good. It's uh, got a fantastic soundtrack that hasn't aged a day. Graphics still look great, too. Like, mm -hmm. they still hold up, if you ask me. And you really can't go wrong giving it a try. There's a million ways to at least try it. Uh, I don't know how you feel about mentioning emulation on this podcast. Oh, but, but they're... Uh, full, full thumbs <laughs> up. I, I talk about it maybe too much. There are patches that will rebalance the game for you, will oh, clean up the translation and stuff like that. So there's a million jillion ways to enjoy it. And you should really give it a try. I think, you know, there's an excellent chance you will like it despite its flaws. That's fantastic. Well, Nadia, uh, thank you so much for bringing this game on to discuss uh, today. Uh, it was really fun to hear from you. Uh, I'll lead us in to our, uh, our first post-show segment uh, today, the Fact Me by Your Game segment. And that's just where... I bring on a couple of fun facts to share with my guest about the game they brought on today, um, both of which I'm almost certain you know about, but I'll share them anyway. The first one I have titled, uh, well, this comes from a video from a YouTube creator called Strafe Fox, a really great video. Oh, I know Strafe Fox, yeah. Yes, and a great Secret of Mana video. Um, yes. And the first fact I have uh, titled, Mode 5 Rips, baby. Uh, so, of course, we all know about Mode 7 and how that was just uh, used widely in many Super Nintendo games. Uh, and including this one, they used Mode yes. 7 for some graphical tricks. Uh, but the lesser known Mode 5 graphics uh, were, or that setting was also used. Are you familiar with Mode 5 as well? Actually, no. Uh, I, I know I have seen that video by Stray Fox, but Mode 5 is nothing. something I don't know anything about. Yes, it's so from what I gathered, basically, in Mode 5, the SNES outputs a higher resolution image, but with lower color depth. Um, mm -hmm. So in the game, there's like kind of like they do in, in Chrono Trigger. They're able to sort of render what looks like uh, shadows from trees or foggy areas. And a translucent image was not possible to be rendered on the snes however what they could do the trick they pulled was that using mode 5 they would uh layer two images uh that sort of blend together to create this ideal image like the shadows mm -hmm. or fog so just a really cool i was just fascinated by that workaround on how they made it work that's on really that cool i actually didn't know that fact i'm trying to think where they would have used that probably early in the game there's a forest that's kind of foggy yeah. um when i think about it back in the early days of emulation you the, the emulators couldn't do that transparency effect so you would have to disable entire layers just to yes. kind of get through like the, the mist cave in final fantasy 4 otherwise you're seeing <laughs> shit yes so yeah that's uh i kind of knew that but didn't know the name for that yeah. so that's awesome 
They, I think it was also used in certain menus to make certain text more distinct to stand out. Like when you're, you know, whether you're selecting equipment or, or whatever yeah. you do in this game, cause I haven't played it. Uh, so they would make like, you know, the backgrounds a little less, uh, uh, I guess, uh, gripping. And so the, mm -hmm, the, the mm -hmm. stuff that stood out that needed to, um, our second fact that I have for you, I know that you know about, and I have it titled Perfection, Thy Name is Naked Lady in a Book, um, <laughs> yes. uh, which because you have a story I've heard you about. I'm basically just bringing this up and, and I'll share. Uh, you have a funny story about discovering this this uh, Easter egg, essentially. It's, it's basically an Easter egg. Well, to put it like bluntly, there is a enemy in the game, a couple of enemies that are books. They They flip through their pages and they cast spells. It's actually very cute. Uh, once in a blue moon, these enemies, they will flip to a picture of a naked lady, like a pinup kind of thing. And you don't yes. really see anything, but it's very obvious what it is. Mm -hmm. And then the book will kind of get flustered and, and start like, you know, flipping yes. again, looking for its spell. And that's adorable. Number one. Number two, finding that by accident as a kid, like <laughs> I can't remember when I found it. If it was the first time or one of the subsequent times it was definitely during a time when I had nobody to tell, like, because I'm like, did I just see a naked lady in a, <laughs> and I knew very, very well that Nintendo at the time was censoring stuff like that. I said, yes. well, this really, this obviously got through and it was hilarious. But back then I wasn't really on the internet, so I couldn't really say, Hey, everyone, guess what I found. It was just kind of kept bottled up for the, for a great deal of my life, which was hilariously painful. That's so funny. And I, I watched a video of a, of a streamer who like stump, he, he's mentioning this to a friend who's on the stream with him. And then it, happens and it is a the moment is so quick because the book like you said flips it's flipping through pages it accidentally lands on what looks sort of like a centerfold of it a, is of of a yeah. woman laying like down a, a pinup yeah yes and but then it's so quick because like you said the book gets flustered and the animation they use is that um only when it flips from the lady not any other time it's flipping its pages little sweat wicks are little coming sweat off drops of it, yeah which is just such a <laughs> i just thought was a really charming way to characterize that that is that's like one of those easter eggs where the developers say hey you know what i'm gonna have fun with this absolutely um well that'll do it for the fact me by your game segment and i'll finally lead us into our last one of the podcast the game recommendations now uh nadia this segment is my one forced tie-in to the movie call me by your name uh of mm -hmm. which this podcast nearly shares a name with exactly um and i'm going to treat the secret of mana like your passionate summer italian uh love that you're eventually going to move on from and in order to move on, I'm going to give you these options of uh, three new potential flings uh, that all have something in common with Secret of Mana. So a little familiarity goes a long way as far as I'm mm -hmm. concerned. Um, uh, anyway, I'll get into the recommendations right here. First, if your action RPG needs to be iconic, but at the cost of being uh, intellectual property. So instead of being original characters like in this game, you need that IP. I'll recommend a game I'm sure you're familiar with, Kingdom Hearts for the PlayStation 2. I have not played a Kingdom Hearts game. Uh, and you'd never need to uh, <laughs> at all, but uh, but they, there are some interesting things in common that, that I found. You had mentioned something earlier today. Oh, like about the crappy AI and your partners. Yeah. If you like crappy AI, oh, there you Goofy go. will be that for you. <laughs> I, I've heard all about Donald and Goofy not doing anything when they yes. need to, especially um, Donald. Absolutely. Uh, the second 
uh, recommendation is if instead of uh, the setting that you have in Secret of Mana, you'd like a more futuristic setting, uh, but still in an action RPG genre from the next generation, I'll recommend a game uh, that I, I know you know as well, Mega Man Legends. Oh, absolutely. Mega Man Legends is a great, great game. And 2 is even much better. So, Oh, really? I- Oh, two is fantastic. If you have not played two, you absolutely must play two. I actually wrote an article on US Gamer about why people still want Legends 3. And the reason is Legends 2. And Legends 2 has some of the best world building, like outside of outside of Mega Man, like any game, really. It's wow. a fascinating game. Really loved it. Uh I didn't know that you had done that, but I knew you would know it because I know you as a Mega Man fan and an RPG fan. So it's fun that those two sort of collide. This is unrelated. Have you played any of the Battle Network games? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I played all of them, or most of them anyway. Uh, there is a collection coming out, I forget yes. when, I think sometime in April. Uh, it's funny, Mega Man, like I mentioned, I was a Mega Man fan, and I started with the originals. Nowadays, when you talk to Mega Man fans, so many of them started with Battle Network. So that's oh, exactly wow. what Inafone planned for Battle Network was, hey, here's a whole new generation for people to get into Mega Man. And they did. It was a pretty fairly a fairly popular series. We have one of our uh, contributors on our Patreon, uh, host of another podcast. He that was exactly what it was for him. It was his entrance to the uh, to the series, essentially. Uh, yeah. But anyway, the the final recommendation I have for you is uh, if this game having a secret naked lady in it makes your pure <laughs> heart shudder, and you need a game that is far more pure and free of smut, well then I'll recommend to you. The Bible game for PlayStation 2. There's one for PlayStation 2. I knew there was a Bible game for everything else. I didn't know there was one for PlayStation 2. There, there's a there's a PS2 version out there. Um, and I I couldn't tell you what it's about, but uh, but I'm sure it's so much more pure. Uh, if this if that part turns you off of this game, uh, is it just? I've mentioned this on my own podcast before, but like Christian games being pure are always weird to me, just because I'm a Jew raised on the Old Testament, yes. and it's like. <laughs> All right, you're going to be king of Hashverosh, and you're going to have to tell Vadi to die, to dance naked, and you're five years old. It's like, okay. But yeah. <laughs> meanwhile, Christians are like, oh, we can't mention like this or that. Everything has to be pure and good. This is a Christian Minecraft server. It's like, eh, do what you will. But um, I got to say that the smut makes a better game. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so I always have uh, one in these recommendations that's a, that's a goof, that's a joke, and that's my joke one. Um, so I'll finish. I'll just count down the recommendations again. We have Kingdom Hearts. Mega Man Legends, and the Bible game. Uh, That'll do it for the game recommendations, and that will actually bring us to the end of the episode. Uh, So before we go and plug whatever we'd like to on our way out, again, Nadia, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This was an absolute blast to hear from you about one of your favorite games. And uh, keep up the great work over at Axe the Blood God. It's a fantastic show. Thank you. Absolutely. What do you want to plug on your way out today? Where can people find you? Well, if you do want to support Axe of the Blood God, which you've heard so very much about, uh, go ahead and go to patreon.com forward slash bloodgodpod. We also are at bloodgodpod.com. Uh, I also do shows on Retronauts, which was uh, patreon.com forward slash retronauts.com. Uh, leave out the dot com, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, Axe of the Blood God will be at PAX. We are going to have a panel on the uh, Saturday, I think at 4.30. It's the final, fa- I think it's a Final Fantasy draft. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a great job promoting that here. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So and, are, will you be drafting Final Fantasy games? Uh, I think it's basically, uh, if I'm thinking, if I'm remembering right, kind of forming your your dream Final Fantasy party oh. with 
characters battle systems like okay here you want a dragoon well i'm taking kane now you can't take kane that kind of thing i love that format that's so cool i have done it before with scott white on his podcast mm-hmm. and it was a blast like it's a fun fun format to, to f with everything has to be hey, if you love improv there you go it's yes. all improv that's amazing um well i'll be sure to put links to everything that you have uh promoted today in the show notes and oh uh, and you can follow me sorry on twitter at nadia oxford Awesome. Killer. I'll put that in there too, for sure. Uh, And I'll just go ahead and close this out with some plugs of my own. The cover art for Call Me By Your Game is done by Glenn J. You can find him and his wonderful work on Instagram at Glenn with two N's dot J-A-Y. The show is produced by Jeremy Schmidt. He also edits it. You can give him a tip of the cap by listening to his show, Video Games, a comedy show where uh, recently I hosted an episode and we were able to, on the back half of our show, uh, we had the premier Mario Kart podcast, the Rainbow Road Power Hour, where they were following the current Grand Prix in Mario Kart. Uh, if you like sports uh, and Mario Kart, I think you're going to like that. You should also check me out on social media. I'm at Connor underscore McCabe on Instagram and Twitter. I stream on Twitch. Uh, and lately, I've been playing Super Mario RPG, as we mentioned. And, hey, hey. and because I'm a psycho, playing Super Mario 64 DS on the Wii U. Um, oh, we, gosh. Have you ever played that version of the game? I think we have it, but I think my husband played it. It seemed like it was a really good version, but the controls were just not good the controls are really bizarre especially like that's a game i'm i'm probably more familiar with that game the original more than any game i've ever played so getting into it is strange but i think it's definitely worth playing because they do enough that's new and fun Um, i I really did want that on the collection that came out recently i I know why like uh, i'm disappointed so many that and galaxy 2 not being on there i've yeah Yeah. i don't want to get i'll get started about that's a whole new podcast yes it is um, but anyway, if you want to watch me and, and hang out while I stream uh, video games, I'm over at twitch.tv slash cons is cool 69. And then lastly, again, you should check us out on Patreon. If you like me and the conversations I have with people about video games, you're going to like a lot of what you find over there. We're at patreon.com slash super NPC radio. We're currently, as I already said, we're going through our Super Mario 64 games club every Friday. Uh, but I also do a bonus episode of this show every month called the co-op series where i have a group of people on to talk about a meaningful game uh, to all of us uh in january we just did our so we have 33 of those uh by april we've done mother three this year kirby and the forgotten land and then coming up we're going to do an episode on the original half-life again all that stuff over at uh, patreon.com slash super npc radio that'll do it uh for this episode of call me by your game and we will see you on the next one